Hello, this is Dr. Vargas Lowy, your channelologist. Today's episode is going to be about ticks. Not the bug, but motor ticks and verbal ticks. Um, so this is uh, a condition that affects a lot of kids. Uh, and uh, it's not a severe condition. It can look uh, pretty spectacular. Um, it can have some impact in the kid's life, but it's not a severe uh, neurological condition. And it can be, um, can be managed uh, very well. So starting with uh, motor tics, uh, these are uh, repetitive, sudden uh, movements uh, that can affect your face or can affect your arms, your legs, any part of your body really. Um, sometimes they can be complex and pretty incapacitating because they involve def different parts of your body or sometimes it's just one single jerk of your shoulder for instance, or uh, one that we see very often is um, blinking your eyes very forcefully and repetitively. Uh, then we have vocal tics, uh, which are also motor actually, but they just affect your the muscles involved in language, in talking. Um, and those uh, can be just a simple throat clearing, uh, to a cough, to even saying a word, uh, repeatedly or making awkward sounds. Now this brings me uh, to a term that makes parents very uh, concerned, which is Tourette syndrome. Uh, Tourette syndrome we define as motor and vocal tics uh, that are severe uh, and that are harder to treat and that typically are a lifelong diagnosis. Um, so I have a hard time diagnosing kids uh, with Tourette syndrome because very often Ticks in kids are self-limited. The kids grow out of them. Uh, they disappear and they never come back or they come back way later in life. Uh, that would not be Tourette syndrome. Um, so even though uh, some people define it as motor and vocal tics, uh, for me it's more motor and vocal tics that persist and that are severe. And uh, it's hard uh, to put a diagnosis like that on a kid when we know that most of them will actually outgrow it. So very rarely will I give a diagnosis of Tourette uh, in, a, in a kid. Maybe in an older teenager who's had tics for their whole life and that are very resistant to treatment, I will, uh, but uh, never on the first visit uh, to my office. So back to the um, uh, different characteristics of uh, motor and verbal tics. Um, they are typically involuntary. The kids uh, are not aware uh, that they're doing them sometimes unless you make them aware of it. Uh, but they can actually suppress them. Uh, that's one of the key features of tics. If you think really hard about them, if you concentrate on not having them, you are able to suppress them. Then we, uh, we evaluate uh, the severity of the tics not only based on how spectacular they look, uh, but also how they impact the kid or, uh, or how they impact um, their social interactions. Uh, so a kid can actually be completely comfortable with their tics, they don't care about it, um, until uh, 
either they feel pain because of muscle soreness. If you have a very repetitive and constant jerking of your neck, you might develop pain in your neck. So even though the tics might not be too bothersome, the pain uh, that comes with the tics that that can be uh, that can be uncomfortable. Another thing is uh, the social stigma. Uh, when you're in the classroom and you keep doing these movements, you can actually distract other kids. Or other kids, we know how cruel they can be. They can make fun of you. So that can actually have a psychological impact in the patient that we have to take into account. Um, then verbal or vocal tics, they can actually be disruptive. Uh, they can start doing that in the classroom or when they're at the movie theater. So that becomes a problem as well. And all this is going to determine what we do about it, whether we want to treat with medication or not, uh, whether we want to send them to therapy or not. Uh, and what does that consist of? Uh, so let's talk about medication first. Um, very often when a kid comes with not very severe tics, what I do is that uh, I explain the nature of tics to their parents. I tell them that most likely they're going to outgrow them, uh, that they may come in phases. You know, when you're more stressed or anxious, you might get more tics. Um, but that, you know, we just need to uh, live with it and uh, understand that they're not a severe neurological condition. Uh, then we can uh, try to uh, treat them with just supplements and more a more natural approach. Um, and uh, typically what I recommend for ticks uh, is magnesium supplements, um, vitamin B6 supplements, and sometimes a fish oil can, can be helpful as well. Um, very often that's enough, uh, but I always want to combine that with some kind of therapy. Uh, and by that, I don't mean a psychotherapist and seeing a, a psychologist, which can actually be helpful. Um, but uh, there's a technique called habit reversal training that can actually be very helpful, and you can do it right from home. Um, habit reversal training consists of first making the kid aware uh, very carefully about their tick. Um, they need to be able to tell you what they feel before the tick, what does the tick consist of, and how does it feel when the tick stops. Um, first, understanding your tick very well. Very often you're going to hear the kid saying that right before the tick they have this urge of doing the tick. They feel some kind of tickling sensation or discomfort and that resolves after they do the tick, like squinting your eyes or uh, moving your neck sideways or shrugging your shoulders. Um, so that's the first step, being aware of your tick and what brings the tick. Then the second thing is coming up with some kind of substitution movement that involves the same part of your body that you're going to do uh, in order to suppress the tick. So I'll give you the example of ocular tics, kids, tics that affect, affect your eyes, um, like a forceful blinking of your eyes, for instance. So when uh, the kid feels that urge of uh, blinking their eyes really hard, um, you have to tell them that they need to uh, cast their eyes down a little bit and focus on a specific point of the room uh, that's uh, about five, seven feet away of them. And they have to focus on that for a few seconds until that urge of having their tick goes away. 
Another example, if you have uh, a tick that affects your arms, you can have some kind of bracelet or a rubber band on your wrist. And whenever you feel that urge of having the movement, you just go, you grab the rubber band and you stretch it a little bit for a few seconds until that urge goes away. So this is something that's called training for a reason. Uh, it doesn't just happen uh, when you start applying it. Uh, you need several weeks of doing that constantly until uh, your tick finally goes away, but it works really well. So typically the cases more uh, uh, uncomplicated of ticks, uh, motor ticks especially, they go away uh, just with the supplements and the habit reversal training. And by the way, this can work with ver verbal ticks as well. Uh, for instance, instead of uh, trying to clear your throat, uh, you swallow. Uh, or you roll your tongue several times instead of saying a specific word um, instead of your mouth. Uh, so, you know, these are just examples of habit reversal training. And I'm going to share with you a very good video that's actually uh, on YouTube from a therapist in England who explains to a kid with motor tics how to do the habit reversal training. You can actually, if you search on YouTube, um, Tara Murphy with a T, T-A-R-A -A, Murphy, uh, habit reversal training. If you type that, you're going to find the video on YouTube. Um, so uh, this is uh, most of what I have to say about uh, the therapy and supplements. But then uh, in some cases, it's uh, it's severe enough that we're going to require to treat with medication. And the main medication that we use for children with motor and vocal tics uh, is in the family of the alpha-2 agonists, uh, which I mentioned for ADHD. It's the same medication that we use for ADHD that actually works for ticks as well. Actually, um, uh, ADHD and ticks very often go hand in hand. So when that's the case, these medications are the first choice. Uh, alpha-2 agonists uh, are uh, guanfacine, which comes in an immediate release and an extended release form, as well as clonidin. The difference between them, as I mentioned in the ADHD chapter, is that clonidin will make you a little bit more sleepy. So we tend to use it at night. Guanfacine, typically I start with immediate release. If it works well, then I switch to the uh, extended release version. That's the first line treatment if we require medication. Uh, sometimes it's not enough and we're going to have to use other options and um, you know some people have used benzodiazepines uh, which I tend not to like to use too much with kids um, some people have used uh, antipsychotics like uh, Risperdal that's one that uh, if there are uh, concomitant uh, psychiatric disorders like in kids with autism for instance we may, we, we may want to use this one Risperdal um, then there's other treatments that are used more frequently in adults, uh, like Pimazine, uh, but those I rarely, very rarely use with uh, kids. Um, so the medications typically we use when the ticks are really bad, and then we can stop them when they get better. And very often the ticks don't come back. Um, so I think... This is it uh, for motor ticks. Uh, it's not very complicated. Um, 
the evaluation, uh, which doesn't require any other kind of studies, meaning an EEG or, or imaging studies of the brain, that's going to come back completely normal. Uh, it's, not, it's not very uh, complicated. And then the treatment is very, fairly straightforward as well. The most important uh, take-home message that I want to give you is that uh, it's not a severe condition and that most kids will, will outgrow it. So that's all for today. Um, thank you for listening. This was Dr. Vargas Lowy, your personal child neurologist.